is the Influencer Entrepreneurs Podcast with Jenny Melrose, where I strategize with business owners on how to grow and scale their businesses to hit their income goals. This is episode 285 of the Influencer Entrepreneurs Podcast with Jenny Melrose. Today, we're going to be diving into how to legally protect your online business with Brittany Rattel. You are going to hear me say in the very beginning of this, and I'm going to say it again now to make sure that we get you into this interview and sticking with me. I'm going to start off with the basics some of my newer bloggers really understanding how to protect your website, but I am going to slowly move my way down to my more higher scale bloggers that are thinking about hiring and are also looking at trademarks. So stick with me. You are going to get a ton of information out of this. And if you are an influencer thinking of pitching and working with brands, please make sure you listen to this because we dropped a little secret of what brands have been recently trying to do in contracts that you are going to want to hear. With that being said, I want to make sure that you grab my pitch guide if you haven't already gotten it. The guide is going to walk you through exactly what to say in your pitch when reaching out to brands for sponsored content. Send me a DM on Instagram at Jenny underscore Melrose, and I will make sure to send that to you. All right, you guys, let's dive in. Hi, Brittany. How are you? I'm great, Jenny. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. I am so excited to get into this conversation about how to legally protect your online business. Um, but before we do that, will you introduce yourself and your business to my audience? I'm happy to. Um, so my name is Brittany Rattel, and I'm an attorney, and I specialize in helping creators, creative entrepreneurs, um, creative people who uh, switch their identity and what they're called a lot a lot of the time. So I have to do as well. But moral of the story, I, I love working with really savvy, modern online business owners, especially people who have kind of a creative brand. Um, I've been in the space specifically helping in this niche for um, five years now, um, kind of grew into it accidentally. I was doing other practices practice areas because I'm an attorney and I had friends who were growing blogs into now kind of, you know, quote unquote, real businesses who were going from Etsy shops into real product businesses. And I kept on getting one-off questions of, I know you don't do this, but could you read over this? <laughs> could you yes. tell me how do you start an LLC? How do you do this? Um, and I, I, I really dawned on me that this is exactly who I wanted to be working for is helping creatives. Um, and most of my clients now are women. And so I do kind of a combination of done for you legal services. And then I also sell um, templates and guides and other digital resources for people who just um, you know want to get started and want some good info. Excellent. So perfect. And we actually met at Tastemakers Conference. I've been saying this because the last couple of guests, that's, I was like, oh my goodness, I love you all. You need to come on the podcast. Um, but it was funny because you came up to me and commented on my outfit and you looked adorable as well. And then I said something to you. And then afterwards, probably, I think it was after I spoke, we realized who each other were. Um, right. So We've been DMing and we're like, oh, of course you're, you're awesome and fabulous. But you know, sometimes the handle and this tiny bio picture, we don't always connect the dots, but <laughs> yes, exactly. So, all right, let's really get into this. So we're going to start off kind of basic and then get a little bit deeper. So if you are been around for a while, you know, some of the basics stick with me because I'm telling you, you're going to want to hear the end questions. Um, cause even I still have questions. So what are the key things we need in order to protect our websites? Let's start basic. 
Super, super smart question. Um, kind of the, the big things for our websites, we kind of we usually scroll down and are looking at the footer. That's where our legal documents should live. That's kind of the best practice now for UX and user design. Um, so the, the things that we're looking for there is every website needs to have a privacy policy. It's required by both state and federal law, also GDPR. So moral of the story, you don't really have to worry if you need one anymore. Um, I'll just tell you the spoiler alert, you do. So everyone needs a privacy policy because you are collecting information from people on your website, I promise you. Um, the other thing that uh, most people need that's a great idea, it's not required by law, but it's a really, really smart thing, is a website terms or website terms and conditions, terms of use, terms of service. They're all kind of used interchangeably. It's not like one it really trumps the other. They're just kind of terms of art. So I usually generally generally call them terms and that's short and sweet and that's fine. And this is that's going to govern your relationship with the users and visitors to your website. This should have information on if you sell anything from your website, it should have information about returns, shipping, uh, chargebacks, refund policy. It should have information on uh, copyright, how people can use your content. If you have digital products and have community guidelines, any of those things that govern the way that you're interacting and what you're selling from your website, this is where we want all of that fine print to govern that relationship. If you get a chargeback or in a dispute with somebody, this is the document you want to serve up and be like, this this is what our deal was regarding this transaction. It's kind of your first line of defense. So, um, and then the other thing is that if depending on your subject matter, if you are in health and wellness or talking about making money, um, you need to be careful and make sure you have appropriate disclaimers or disclosures about the information, the content you're sharing on your website. So that means you might have want to have something of like, I am not intending to diagnose or treat any illness or disease. Um, you know, I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm not a licensed physician. And some of that sometimes depends on what, what you're talking about and what are maybe the claims or the assumptions people are going to make that you want to clarify and put some boundaries up. And then a copyright statement. That's kind of the last thing. That's that cute little C with a circle. And you should have ideally the date that your website maybe first started, dash the current year, and then your either your name if you're not incorporated and that's what you're operating under is just your own legal name. Or if you do have a business entity, you put that LLC, all rights reserved. That's kind of the magical copyright statement. So people can't say, I didn't know. Right. Yes. Okay. So three very important pieces that we need to have just as website blog owners, whether you are monetizing the ads or you're doing sponsorships, anything, whatever that might be. Now, one of my questions is very specific to my food bloggers because I know it continually comes up. How do we legally protect a recipe? Is it possible? Great, great question. Um, it's tricky. There are some parts of it that you can protect and some that you can't. So copyright law is actually very specific in the U.S. and has said that a recipe, meaning the list of ingredients and the simple processes of assembling those ingredients, is typically not protected by copyright law because it's considered too functional. They really consider it as literally just a list of processes and there's no creative work. And that's what copyright law is supposed to protect, the creative guts of something. However, the, uh, the pros and content that comes before that recipe, totally protectable. The photos or video that may accompany that recipe, also protectable. Um, what may come after in terms of comments, you know, hints, suggestions or whatnot. Um, so the, the packaging and a lot of the things that come around that recipe that make more of your secret sauce and why people want to come to you or why you're getting better SEO, all of that stuff can and, and should be protected. Um, and copyright is the right tool to protect those things. So 
That was such a great example because I think it is. We automatically assume, oh, well, I've come up with this. I made this raspberry popped out of my head. It's baked ziti. There's not too many ways you can really change up baked ziti. Exactly. And that, and that's why the copyright office is trying to be fair of like, look, when things are functional, there's only so many ways to roll the dice. We are, and, and it's for good and for bad. That means that you can use other recipes. And now always remember you, there's the legal line and there's the ethical line. So, you know, think about your, what do you think is fair for you as a creator, as someone who's in the food industry? Um, what feels good, you know, in terms of you're going to rip off someone's entire book and, you know, bake, bake all their recipes and, and do it, you know, word for word. Maybe that doesn't, you know, align with your values. Um, but in terms of being inspired by or other recipes or using resources, it can and does happen. And recycling and repurposing is part of the gig. So, yes. And also, of course, in an example like that, linking back to it, especially if it's a website owner that you were um, just making little tweaks to and calling it then your own with a little spin off with uh, the way that you're changing it. Um, but having that link back is showing them that you're not crossing that ethical line. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a professional courtesy, you know? And so, yeah, if you're, you want to say it's inspired by, I, I, I always think it's, it's good to defer in terms of being, yeah, being a good steward and being the creator economy. And what would you want someone to treat you, um, you know, following the golden rule there? Yes. Okay. So I already, when we were talking about website and being able to make money from it, we brought up ads, of course, but I also brought up influencers. Everyone knows me, of course, is the one that talks about sponsorships, being that influencer, getting paid for actually creating content for brands. So as influencers, should we have an influencer contract in place with brand collaboration? Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've seen these, the, these, you know, have evolved over the years, you know? So, I mean, we still are in a, a newish industry in the influencer uh, marketing industry. And so these contracts are growing up and glowing up as well. So some of them are long and tedious. They reference a lot of things that you, we, we don't do, or, or you have, uh, people get a lot of question marks. Um, I find when I'm reviewing and redlining these for clients, sometimes we have to strike out big provisions of like indemnity that doesn't make sense. Like you should not be indemnifying anything that like a fortune 100 company is doing, you know, you should really, you're only should be on, on the hook for things that you can control. Um, you know, you shouldn't have to carry some huge liability insurance policy. That's an issue I see with kind of dinosaur contracts as I call them, because these were meant for like big talent production shoots, you know, that that's not what you're doing. You're giving a shout out about is the fuck bag. Like you don't need to have liability insurance. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's definitely back and forth on these contracts, but the biggest thing is ideally you want to have one rather than a handshake deal just for clarity for both sides. So they can have clear expectations of what the campaign, the deliverables, the usage and IP and exclusivity is going to look like. Um, and the money that's usually the important things to look at in a contract. Um, and in the, the other thing is that uh, all contracts are negotiable. And so you should always feel comfortable in being able to ask questions to make sure this aligns with what your email negotiations might've been in your DM negotiations. Um, it's not always that the other side is being malicious and out to get you and they're trying to screw you. They could just be using an old contract. They could have just not updated it or made a mistake um, in it. And so you got to read your contracts um, and, and treat yourself like a real business and advocate for yourself like it. Is there anything that you're seeing in 2022 that is popping out from the contracts as far as like you should be charging more for this? 
Uh, absolutely. I would say um, advertising access or what known as whitelisting is a very hot topic issue um, because I'm seeing it more and more in contracts and people, if you're not looking for it, um, you're they're they're getting the cow for free. <laughs> you know, a lot of it basically, because if people aren't familiar, it means that it, uh, you're granting permission that someone can go on and basically turn on sponsored ads that will look like they're from you. They can throw the ad money behind it and they can flood flood your audience with ads, you know, if something's working now that might be fine. Um, but you know, if you realize your audience is like, dude, why am I getting all of these Rothy's ads? Like, I did not know that she loved them so much. You, you don't, <laughs> but the, the, but the brand put a lot of money on it. And so you should, um, you know, be asking and for, if people want, you should be having a timeline on it. So if they want 30 days of ad access, um, you should be charging it for. I've seen people go anywhere from half of the fee to doubling what the fee was for that 30 days of ad access. Alternatively, you can also charge a percentage of ad spend. You can say, I want a three or 4% of whatever the ad spend you're going to put behind it, because it could be affecting your audience and the ideal mix of the editorial versus sponsored content that like you, you like to have, and you will not see it um, because you're the creator and, but your audience will, and it can impact your bottom line. So I recently had someone reach out to me about this, but the brand didn't call it whitelisting. They're getting crafty. They called it a dark post. And I quickly Googled. And of course, Google tells you dark post is whitelisting. And I went back and I was like, this is what you do for whitelisting because that's what they're talking about. But they are. They're getting crafty. So if you see dark post, it's the same thing as whitelisting. That's exactly what they're doing. Right. Yeah. So, and, you know, similar, if they're asking to have access on some of those third-party tools, like, um, you know, the, there, there's a few of them of like Lumion or whatever, like that's how they're going to get access to that. And so they're just make sure that you are, you're reading through and you're looking for looking through your agreements. Um, you know, a, a great tip is to do a control F if you're worried that you're missing something and go look for advertising access, dark post, whitelisting, exclusivity pricing net, you know, how long is it going to take for you to get paid? I still see people accepting net 90. Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous. You don't need to wait 90 days to be paid. Um, You know, they've got the money. So, you know, move that down to a net 60 or a net 30. So, yeah. Agreed. Excellent. Okay. So moving from influencer, now we're trying to step up our game a little bit. We're not just necessarily solo entrepreneur. Maybe we're looking to have contractors so that we're working with independent contractors. What contracts should we have in place for that? Awesome. Awesome question. Um, yeah, as we're trying to build team members, um, a lot of people start out with independent contractors, or they're also sometimes called 1099s because of the tax form they fill out. Um, and the, the biggest thing that you want to have is you want to have some sort of agreement in writing, like an independent contractor agreement. This is my number two bestseller in my template shop, because almost all the clients I work with, they all have 1099s and independent contractors. And they can be great because they can have specific skills. They can work with you and other clients. It's a great fit. But um, what you want to have in this agreement and why it's important is it's going to outline your expectations. It's going to clarify most importantly, that they are and you're intending for them to be an independent contractor and not an employee. Now, if you are having them doing employee-ish things, which is a whole, like it's been a whole podcast episode on that, on the IRS test and how technical that is, it's not to say that this is going to protect you, but it's the first brick in that wall of saying, hey, it was our intent, the way we were working for them to be an independent contractor. It should also address stuff like um, copyright uh, and intellectual property. Because technically, as this independent contractor is creating all this awesome stuff for your business, blog posts and media and social media captions and editing videos for YouTube or 
whatever, their work is theirs unless you have something in writing otherwise. So this is the writing otherwise that you want to say, all of that stuff, we intend for that to be work for hire. We need to put that all back in the business bucket where it should be. And then things like confidentiality. Um, I've especially had this has come up as you maybe tend to work with younger and younger independent contractors in your business of just making sure you're having clear expectations and boundaries around this is confidential stuff we talk about in our business, about maybe pricing or vendors or working with clients. Um, and you want to make sure that someone is can't use that information um, outside or to your detriment or in a way that would, you know, that would be embarrassing um, for your business. Excellent. So good. And now we're going even further along, I feel, as that business owner. Should we trademark our sites? And if so, when? Yeah, great, great question. So, so trademark is the tool, yeah, to protect any of our brand elements. And so, um, most people, the kind of the first thing they look at maybe trademarking is their overall website name or channel name, you know, if they have kind of like a personal brand. Um, and it could be their actual name or it could be, you know, uh, something else like, you know, like design, mon- you know, like something else. So, it was a moniker that maybe started as a blog and now it's become more of a site and a brand. And you might sell, you know, different products in addition to selling your influence and ad presence on it. Um, it's trademark is, is important and it should be used when you would be heartbroken if you had to change your name, <laughs> if you would be losing a lot of money and steam because the trademark process is kind of two parts. It involves a really uh, comprehensive search because you want to make sure there's nothing else on the trademark registry that's close to you. Not It doesn't have to be an exact match for it to be a problem. And that's the issue um, when a lot of people do their own searches on their own, which I encourage, but with with, with a little asterisk in the corner that it doesn't necessarily mean you don't have a problem. It means you didn't find like a red light, but it doesn't mean that you're a green light either. Because if you put into the trademark database, Starbucks with two S's, you will get zero search results. It is not like Google. It is not going to try to figure out what you're trying to ask. It will tell, it will give you the exact search results. So, um, so after you do that search and you also want to search for, is there anyone else using it in common law, just in the ether of business? And maybe they haven't trademarked it yet, but they've been using it before you. And in a way across state lines that could maybe count as interstate commerce. Um, and then to do a trademark, um, processing times now are taking anywhere from 10 to 13, 14 months is the turnaround I'm time seeing I'm my clients. So it takes forever. And it's an investment of time and money. You know, my trademark packages start at $2,500 plus filing fees, and they go up depending on how many things. So it, it's an investment. And I understand for a lot of people, they're like, oh, gosh, that's a lot. Um, but, you know, rebranding also costs a lot. Um, you know, I see people building beautiful um, new websites or redesigning and putting a lot of time and money into branding. And I, and I love branding, you know, I'm a girl, I I love beautiful colors and beautiful things. Um, But to do that before you've secured or done some work on the trademark rights, um, to my mind, that's a little bit out of order because you're, you've started to build up this real estate on ground that you're not sure you own, you know, you could be renting or lease. And at some, you know, juncture, someone sends you a cease and desist and can kick you off. Could that also be the case? Because you said personal brand. So let's use me as an example. Jenny Mm -hmm. Melrose, my actual name. Mm -hmm. It can be. So names are a little trickier because if you're just using your your surname, um, you have to show that you've kind of been using it for a few years or that it has acquired distinctiveness. And so um, surnames kind of have like a special category for them. It's not a bad idea to check though, because there could be someone else who's, maybe there's someone else who's a, 
who has a photographer, you know, who's a, and they are not doing exactly what you do, but they maybe have an online course or maybe they have coaching online. It could be mm-hmm. close enough to what you do that it's an issue. And so it's not a bad idea to, to check your name. Um, and certainly if you're using something else as a brand name, I would say after overall brand name, the most common things I trademark for my clients are logos, which are separate. If you have like a graphic element as a logo, um, product names, if you have a best-selling product that has its own special branded name, that might be something you want to trademark. Online course names, I'm doing a lot of trademarks for people to protect their online courses or like their online memberships that they have, their membership communities. Um, podcasts are a really popular thing to protect the name of a podcast. Um, you know, even, you know, book titles, events, really anything that's you're using as a source indicator of like, we are the person who does this. That's something that could be eligible for trademark. So. Okay, definitely makes sense. And I will be talking to you after this. Yeah, my saying is like, yeah, if you like it, you should have put a ring on it. You know, we listen to Beyonce and all things. And so if it gets to the point where you're like, I'd be heartbroken if I got that cease and desist. And I hate having these conversations with clients when they hold up the letter and they're like, is this legit? Do I, I have 30 days to change my name. And I have to say, I'm, I'm so sorry that you didn't find me before. And we haven't, we didn't do a trademark search and try to, you know, do this. And now we got to change signs and we got, we have $5,000, you know, 5,000 inventory of units we got to destroy or do something with. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a huge nightmare. <laughs> so try to not be in that position, you know, go to the chiropractor before you have to go to the ER. So, yeah. Yes. No, absolutely. Okay. So we've talked a lot about contracts and ways in which, you know, we need to cover our, ourselves legally. You have an actual step-by-step workbook that will help us get legally legit. Can you tell me more about it? Yeah. So it's, it's literally called that the legally legit workbook. And it started as a simple checklist and it's expanded and it is a step-by-step list of uh, the, the big picture steps, the roadmap that you really need to do to get your small business protected in terms of these are the things when you've decided and moved from hobbyist to like, this is a real business, whether it's a side hustle or your main hustle, um, but you're ready for it to be real. You're making money. You're in interactions with clients and other people. These are the things that you should be checking off your list. And I also, you know, there's spaces in there for you to write down things like your EIN number and, you know, have you set up your LLC and are you keeping track of that? You know, or do you have separate bank accounts? Um, That's a really important thing to protect and keep your LLC alive is you have, your finances have to be separate too. And then it goes into a little, like we talked about independent contractors or working with employees. Um, It's, it doesn't give a lot on the employee side. Once you start hiring W2 employees, there's kind of a whole new level of compliance you need to be thinking about. And I recommend using, you know, having a good accountant to help you there, make sure you're running payroll correctly, and also finding someone local to help you with employment law. Because employment law is pretty state heavy, and it varies differently by state because of minimum wage laws and breaks and benefits that you may need to offer. And so um, that's something I really, I stress that you need to find some local guidance or online guidance in terms of compliance there. So, and then things like copyright trademark and reminders of like, hey, don't post other people's stuff unless you have permission, you know, (laughs) even, even if you tag them, you know, um, you can always include a link to someone's stuff, but it's not okay to repost an image, a video, original artwork, um, uh, you know, photo, whatnot without permission 
of people's stuff is their stuff, unless again, you have something in writing otherwise. And so that's the best practice is just to ask. And a lot of people are fine with that, you know, to, to share, but, um, you know, this always comes up, especially every holiday. Cause I'm like, Oh no, you know, international women's day. And I'm like, I'm going to see it. I'm going to see everyone looking online of what's a cute graphic I can show of women helping women, um, and share it to your stories, but please don't repost screenshot that and put it on your feed. Um, and just tag the illustrator. It's, it's not your thing to share. It, it's theirs, you know, and they should be getting a licensee fee, fee for it. So. Yes. So good. So we are going to make sure that we link to that in the show notes. So you all listening can make sure that you hop over and grab that. You know, you can always send me a DM on Instagram. Just tell me that you're looking for the legally legit workbook. Um, and I will make sure to send that to you, Brittany, where are the best places for them to connect with you? Yeah. Um, I'm at Brittany Rattel and all the places. So Instagram is where I hang out the most. Cause I'm like Ariel. I want to be where my people are and my creatives are <laughs> my creators are online on Instagram. Um, and that's the same as my main website is Brittany And then my templates are, are linked from there, but it's called the it's creative Con- contracts co is the name of my template shop. So that's where I sell all the things you need to get like your website legit, you know, my, that's my website bundle or an independent contractor agreement. Or if like you have a business partner and you guys have not signed your business prenup or your operating agreement yet, I, I sell those there. So, and I have a free quiz that you can take to figure out exactly what do you need based on what are you doing and what are you selling in your business? So perfect. All right. We are going to also link to those as well in the show notes that you all listening can make sure that you hop over to that. Brittany, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I appreciate it. No, it was so great to to talk with you, Jenny. Thanks. All right. Well, there you have it. I feel like I could have had a ton of other little episodes with Brittany going even deeper into these. The great thing is she has a podcast. So you can actually search your favorite podcasting app for Brittany Rattel and she will come up and you will be able to get even deeper into all things legal. All right. If you haven't already grabbed her Legally Legit Guide, you can send me a DM and I will send that to you. Just ask for it by name and that will be so helpful for me to know which guide you're trying to get at. As well as if you haven't already taken advantage of my content marketing audit that I am doing for free of your social media and website, send me that picture of your rating and review of the podcast right on Instagram at Jenny underscore Melrose. And I will do that audit for you. All right, you guys, until next time, I will see you all then.